Northern Texas right now is uh, growing at such a pace. They're expecting 20 to 25,000 people to come into this area in the next year to three years. And then we're just trying to stay ahead of the game. I'm a water and wastewater professional licensed and environmental is my specialty. I do consulting work for the Munson Group. They needed a wastewater plant. We were looking for higher end technology. This is a system that progressive water treatment through the modular water systems product line. What is really unique about this particular project is, is that it's an, a membrane bioreactor type of technology. It is our plug and play system. It is a system that as soon as it's offloaded and as soon as you connect a pipe in and a pipe out and make your power connection, you're immediately ready to water up the unit and to put it into operation treating domestic wastewater. Dan Early was the hero, and I was going through two different companies, and uh, we won on this one. Traditional way, you're looking at two years for construction, maybe up to three, and then uh, you have like a 20-year lifespan usually. These treatment units here are warranted for 50 years. Dan Early, he said it would be a nice, clean effluent, and it's above what we thought it would be. The water's so clean. Yeah, free to clear. Treated effluent, yes. You can use it for water irrigation, put it on uh, road dust. All the water that we're going to treat, we're going to keep it here in this development. This treatment unit itself is up to 10,000 gallons per day. Right now we're running about 1,200 gallons per day. We have it set up in our permit where we can go up to 30,000 gallons per day. And doing that, we'll just have to add another box and then another box. I have people that have already inquiring about it. The word's getting around on how efficient and how the production of the water is so pristine. You can see the bottom down there. Everybody wants to get it, especially around lake units like this, because you're not really big enough to have a permanent treatment plant, but these plants can either be permanent or moved or added on, and that makes a, a really nice buffer. We have a special app that's for this unit itself, so we can set alarms, we can do settings without uh, having to come out to the plant itself. The process is sophisticated, but it's very user-friendly. It's all automation, it just it runs itself, and it's satisfying that uh, we're gonna be able to use the water reuse and reclamation. That's very important to us. And then at some point in time, we make it even sell some water. Makes me feel good when we have a project that comes in and uh, everybody's on board and we're getting the results that we wanted. So it's just like a, just like a miracle how it works. And welcome to the CEO briefing. I love that video. We've played it once before, but this Munson Point development is in North Texas where there is a land boom going on and they need these drop in place systems. Um, and we are getting tremendous word of mouth, as Jimmy was saying, that a lot of people want to get in on the act. So that's a beautiful thing. And here we are, water, the blue gold, Thursday, July 13th, the world's new water network. The usual safe harbor statements. So in the news, National Geographic is reporting on what's happening with dying fish in oceans and rivers. And they really are mass fish, mass fish kills. I'll try to say that three times fast. So here's the article. And so fish are dying of suffocation. So why are they suffocating? This is a really good question. Well, it's typically caused by low oxygen levels and uh, tells a story about June, in June, of this year, carpeted of dead fish, um, really scary. What happens, of course, you can have uh, droughts or, or natural algae blooms, but we are making it worse. And here's how. It tells a story about Australia, native fish die off sooner, which hurts biodiversity. A third of freshwater fish species are threatened with extinction, which is bad news for humans. Now, here's what happens. Excessive water extraction um, creates a not enough water in a river. And then if there's a drought or a, or a flood, it blows things up. And so you get bacteria, bacteria um, eat up the oxygen and the fish cannot breathe because they breathe underwater. Um, now here also, we know there's been a lot of uh, dams been put up, which which stops fish from being able to migrate away. And of course, the Colorado River is the poster child for that kind of severe drought and over-extraction of water for farming and drinking. This um, 
hydrologist says it's across the world. These rivers are drying from the bottom up as a scary thought, very scary thought. Now, uh, what we see a lot of is that agriculture and industry put waste directly into rivers or lakes. And algae does its job. Algae grows to suck up all of that um, nutrient. And uh, unfortunately, in the process, they, they die off and then the bacteria consumes the oxygen, et cetera, and it's a vicious cycle. So um, there's a lot of dumping going on, quiet dumping. I'll show you one in a second. And rising temperatures is a factor as well. Global sea surface is a big deal. Global sea surface temperature. This is where it's at. The most direct cause of fish die-offs is water that has been poisoned with chemicals or toxic substances. For example, in Madagascar, a mining company was allowed to release giants amounts, amounts of, of effluent and aluminum. And of course, this went into the ocean, right? How can we do something about it? Well, number one, they're saying, well, we're going to have to have changes in how we interact with rivers and oceans and build a more sustainable relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, um, and of course, accelerate the fight against climate change. Well, this is all very well and it's wonderful, but it's going to take forever. And meanwhile, the problems are going to continue. So uh, this, again, validates our solution, which is get industry and agriculture off the central grid treating their own water with these waters of service, you know, private utility concept that we've, that we've developed. Now we're not the only ones as I've said before, but the other players in waters of service deal with the very, very large companies. And they also don't typically give any kind of help with capital. So we deal with the vast majority of sites that are not gigantic and also they need help with capital. And that's where we really help these businesses get off the grid. And this reduces the problem. It's a very simple solution. And that's why I think it's so inspired. Okay. Part two of the, the uh, frame of reference podcast. Let's uh, give a quick listen. You've also formed, as I understand, it's a, it's a type of cryptocurrency that also kind of supports the management, if you, if you will, if I'm understanding it correctly, of water assets in a way that is, uh, allows people to, you know, see water in the big picture and be able to help, uh, you know, folks in Wisconsin can help people in Alabama rectify a, a water situation that, you know, uh, they can't necessarily address it completely on their own because there just aren't the resources available to do that. Uh, how does that work? It's really in the lab and because we just, got to do one thing at a time. But the idea is once we start paying those dividends to those investors to then package them as a digital bond coupon. And so now what's great about it is that you, you, you've got this digital bond coupon, you can, you can easily transfer it, it becomes a market. And eventually creates a, a water marketplace that doesn't exist today. Because this is something I learned in 2018 when I first started experimenting with crypto is that Water does not have a clear, defined value. It, the, the price for water varies from all over the place, depending on availability. And so, but when we do water on demand, people are paying by the gallon, and it's pretty much similar. They're paying pretty much the same amount across the boards. And so now you have every gallon monetized and then a dividend being paid on that production. And that becomes something that becomes a, you know, a fungible token and eventually can be you know a digital bond market we have put that into the on the roadmap kind of out there because what's going on is we're, we're building essentially a, a three-part business here the first part is this funding of these uh, this equipment using the master uh well-known master limited partnership model from the oil industry the middle of the third the, the three is the technology the modular water technology and the third is this managing a service network where payment only occurs upon performance and putting together those three is enough of a challenge for now. Okay. Now, once we have it mature, then we might look at, at, um, at tokenizing the, the payouts, which is an interesting idea. But the other even more interesting idea is, is how to expand water on demand. Once we've figured out how to do this for the North American region and we've got some penetration, I want to then take it and replicate it in other regions, such as the Middle East, 
So have a partner in Dubai or wherever in the Middle East who then creates a water-on-demand network there, a partner in Singapore who does it for the Malaysian Peninsula, et cetera. And so we can have a replication model where partners take what we do here and copy it, and we now get a network effect. And that, I think, is how we change water in the world. Because India, for example, has no water infrastructure whatsoever. Now, they're, they're spending you know, gigantic amounts of money way, way up in, the, in Nepal on the hydrology, because they've got to do something about all that water uh, up, way, way up high. But meanwhile, there's, there's people in, in sewage pipes that are dying in, in uh, New Delhi because it's just horrendously uh, backward. And what you're not going to do is build a, you know, a bunch of billion-dollar water utilities. What you'll do is do a lot of self-treatment by industry, agriculture, and eventually by people's homes, their apartment buildings, their homes, et cetera. And so decentralizing the problem, distributed water treatment is a great idea. Now, I'm not talking about incoming water. I believe that the municipalities need to continue to provide our incoming water. I don't think that's something we want to really disrupt. I'm talking about that water being made clean again, recycled, which we don't do at all, and then safely returned to the city or put in the ground to recharge the aquifer. That's the model. It's happening that, you know, Israel recycles 90% of its water. Why don't we? Well, there's a lot of good reasons why, but the reason, we're not going to do it by persuading. In San Diego, they've been trying to do this thing that was dubbed toilet to tap, which is a terrible word. And toilet to tap became something that was a municipal, it was a, a county of San Diego went after this, um, wanted to do it to recycle the water. And they were frankly just stopped in their tracks because of popular uh, dislike for the concept. So don't even try essentially, let people do it wherever they are. Right. Well, it's interesting when you talk about things like toilet to tap too, because that that's what the astronauts are doing every day up in the ISS. Um, you know, and it seems to me, that's always been a, a conundrum is to, well, if it's good enough for the astronauts, why can't we market that in a way that gets people to embrace it like they did Tang back in the 60s? You know, it's just, uh, it, it's, uh, I, I guess we just can't get away from the fact that, yeah, but this was someone's urine, you know, well, yeah, but it's not anymore. So is there an educational process you think we need to get through too? It's an infrastructure. It's an infrastructure. You just do the infrastructure, just like cell phones, right? Just bypass the whole central infrastructure and make it all they needed was cell phone towers and phones. And that was that. End of story, right? So we can do that with water. In other words, let people have their own water systems. You know, we do at a brewery, it'll be it'll be tucked away in a corner of the brewery and it takes care of all their water treatment, you know, and they can reuse the water for washdowns. They don't have to make beer with it. But sure. even without making beer, they can still recycle 50% of the water. That's a big win. We have adoption going on of decentralized or distributed water treatment. That's happening. There is a tremendous trend because of deglobalization of repatriation, of reshoring of American industry back to North America. And Peter, Peter Zeehan, who uh, is a wonderful uh, thinker, has predicted that there's going to be an enormous manufacturing boom in America as it all comes back. Now, when those when these come back and they've already begun to, who takes care of the water? And if you're if you go to Mexico, you'll find that nobody nobody is treating that sewage. Well, that that is not going to work for American companies operating in Mexico because they they are stuck with their own standards that they have to meet for their own shareholders and so forth. So and and regulatory requirements. So what is driving water quality improvement in Mexico is not the Mexicans. It is the American companies that have to meet their, you know, ESG ESG type requirements or corporate standards that are set back home. We are going to see a lot of that happen. And that is a vast trend. Now, what we're saying is, look, this trend is happening. You're going to have um, self-contained water treatment with these factories and with the housing developments that will spring up as well and all that. So use a compact technology, which is what we have, and use a financing technology to make it pay per gallon so people don't even think about the capital. And that is why we are so excited about what we've built. And this idea of water as a service is not a new idea. There's, There's companies that do it, but 
you can't invest in them. They are VC owned or they're um, operated for, in the case of uh, one company by Morgan Stanley Infrastructure Partners. You, you don't have access. But Origin Clear, with our water on demand um, uh, offering, we are welcoming regular investors. You just go to originclear.com, press the invest now button, and they're up and running. That is unique, and we plan to keep that sort of water is the people's asset uh, mentality. Back in 21, one of the water industry execs wrote in Forbes Council, as a contributor, he wrote, the next trillionaire is going to be in water. The first trillionaire is going to be in water. We say, no, we don't want one trillionaire. We want millions of millionaires, right? So we'd rather democratize this. This, um, this asset is just now coming out from government monopoly and is now starting to crank up. Water tech's becoming hot. Well, let's let regular investors have a uh, crack at it. And we love those investors. They're super faithful. And they, I believe, it's like a, a political campaign taking a bunch of small contributions. You're more powerful than a campaign driven by one guy's wealth, for example. Right. Well, and it sounds like, too, there's this quality of stewardship involved mm-hmm. in that In that, um, if, if everyone is involved in the process of utilizing and uh, cultivating, maintaining water in responsible ways – uh, we all become much more careful about how we utilize it and what we do to continue its uh, health, if you will. That that strikes me as a real. Uh, I, I really uh, applaud you for getting into the forefront of helping people to understand this is all. Going back to the original question, this isn't something we can just whittle away or you know treat flippantly. It really is something that we all have a part in maintaining it so that, you know, everyone has the same access to life um, that water provides for us. Realistic though, businesses need to have ROI. So yes, they'll do beneficial things, but if it doesn't work financially, they'll be like, yeah, I don't know about that. And so the fact that they can recycle, which saves on water rates in in this long-term service contract, they have predictable water rate index you know, inflation index, as opposed to the craziness that's going on with water rates right now, with it's totally uncontrolled. These things, and also the ability to, you know, it's a, it's a very important that a business knows that nobody can tell them no, we won't take your water, right? Because that's going on right now. Municipalities are overloaded and they're saying we can't take your dirty water, and businesses are going, well, what do I do with it now? And they're trucking it to the other county. This is happening all the time. Well. Once you get your own system, no more dependency. Yeah. Doesn't worry. You can cut me off if you want to, because I'm already cut off myself. I have a friend that, you know, installed all renewable energy sources at his house. And uh, he, he fondly talks about the day that the utilities guy came over and was looking all around the house, you know, looking for a meter and he couldn't find it. He came out and said, what are you looking for? And he said, well, your meter, you know, where's your meter? And he said, I, I don't have a meter. I'm all on my own. See ya. <laughs> so it was a great day. So the Biden infrastructure bill, as I understand it, had some really key incentives built into it for water infrastructure. You know, is that something we should, as a re- Republican or Democrat, that people should be getting behind? Um, or is it is not sufficient enough? Is it just kind of a Band-Aid when uh, there's really much more serious surgery necessary? I'm sitting here on calculator looking at, uh, there we go. There's 120, it's a $1.2 trillion, right? Okay. And I want to make sure I got to know this. It's a million, billion, trillion, $1.2 trillion was the uh, administration divided by um, 55 billion, which is what portion was water. And it goes in two thousand over 2,000 times. So what water got was what one 2,000, it was, literally you can have 2,000 times water's share of that bill to get to that bill. People don't realize how much a trillion dollars is. So the point I'm making is 55 billion was meaningless in, in the context of the water industry is falling behind by $100 billion every year. Was it helpful? Yes, because there's a big focus on lead remediation, which is vital, but really did nothing for the infrastructure itself. And our theory is like, look, don't try and rebuild the infrastructure. It's going to take 30 years, it's going to take trillions of dollars. Instead, 
unburden it, unburden the infrastructure, take the load off by having that happen remotely. And that seems to me that, for example, in um, Miami-Dade County, they, when they originally built that county, it was sprawled, they didn't plan it. And so they have over 100,000 septic tanks. Okay. And those septic tanks are leaking and you know the water table is rising and it's all horrible. And so my, the Miami-Dade wants to spend $8 billion, as they say six, but it'll be eight or more, to send sewage lines out to each of the 100,000 uh, septic tanks. Well, why not just give them a rebate for just having a standalone black water system and then done, right? Instead of tearing up the street and spending billions and it's 20 years. But of course, that's how they think. The central guys think central and they also love to have the big, you know, um, contracts that go along with it sure. and so forth. Sure. But, you know, at the end of the day, it makes a lot of sense for it to be decentralized and the technology is there. Well, it seems like... Um... I think it's the Gates Foundation, didn't they? They're doing similar uh, projects in third world world countries, trying to help them get a system that will allow them to convert their sewage, which oftentimes is just the nearby brook or river, and be able to not only take care of that sewage and manage that better, but also be able to develop a, a clean water supply. So here in Prairie du Sac, Wisconsin, we would have our own self-sufficiency in water supply and water treatment. Is that seem like a, a rational approach to this? Well, like I say, I don't mind communal water supply because that's less logical. I don't want to, I don't want every business to dig it its own well necessarily, but we do need to have standalone water treatment. And, you know, it's all very well that foundations are paying for things in Africa, but let's pay attention to what's going on in North America for God's sake. Yeah. Right. We have real problems. Flint is only the tip of the iceberg. You know, there's some terrible problems throughout America that are not really being discussed with water quality. South Bend, which was a big manufacturing center, has tremendous uh, problems with the water strata, and we don't hear about it. If there's someone out there listening right now that just is not getting it, um, you know, that's just like, ah, it rains all the time. You know, or, you know, all this alarmist stuff about water. It, yeah, come on. Is there something you would point to or is there a question you would ask to get them to wake up and realize that we're talking life and death ultimately? I mean, at the end of the day, we have to figure this out because water is not inexhaustible. Um, you know, yeah, we can desalinize oceans, but, you know, we're not going to solve the problem by not addressing it head on. What What is that problem? Or what is the problem with people not embracing this? Let's do the easy stuff first. Desalination is expensive and it's an energy hawk. Look at, look at um, San Diego County. The Colorado River water costs as little as $25 an acre foot. An acre foot is just to give you an idea is um, roughly what a family of four can live on needs in a year. Okay. So that's an acre foot. San Juan Capistrano desal plant is $1,350 per acre foot. That's expensive stuff. So now your water bill skyrocket. Why not recycle? It's so easy. Do the recycling thing. You know, it's like, you really want to make it expensive. And by the way, the Huntington Beach desal plant after 10 years of development got canceled because of, because of uh, neighborly pressure. So that's not a solution. So start doing the, the things that make sense. And furthermore, 80% of all water in the world, of all sewage in the world, is not treated at all. It's dumped. Do you really want to live in sewage? Because that's what it's going to be eventually. Yeah, all I need to do is watch a couple of documentaries about that sort of thing. And I think that that woke me up. <laughs> I was already awakened somewhat. But so uh, Rick Zuckerberg has been my guest. He's a nationally renowned entrepreneur dedicated to revolutionizing the water industry. And we've gotten just the tip of that iceberg of what that looks like in a water revolution. But Riggs, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you're a busy man. You've got lots of obviously big things going on. Um, I can only wish you the best of luck in those endeavors. And uh, I hope this little time together will help to wake some people up as well as maybe just make them think a little bit. That's always a good thing as well, right? And if they want to invest in the new asset water, just go to originclear.com, green button at the top, the top, invest now, and we'd welcome your investment. Yep. Well, get involved, right? It's a grassroots effort, if not a, a, a drip drop effort. I'm not sure what we would call it. So, <laughs> so well, thank you very much, Rob. Thank you. Take care. And thanks for listening to us on Frame of Reference.
So, yeah, I promise you, I will not let such a horrible microphone quality on my side happen ever again. Uh, just to take a look at some of the comments here before we go on. Keith Rutten, uh, when he saw the Jimmy Moon uh, video earlier on, results, keyword he used, absolutely. Tom Leokos is late, but here. Thank you and welcome, Tom. Uh, James Wright. Hello, just wishing everyone a wonderful evening. Hope you have a great weekend. And uh, thank you for all the great work and updates. And then Paul Kalra says, my city offers recycled water for public, commercial, and park maintenance. Is this going to be a requirement for cities in the coming years? Absolutely. Um, that, there's a more and more recycling going on, obviously. The problem is it's happening very slowly. It, it's, it's because cities are piped to not recycle, it requires a whole new um, infrastructure on top of the existing infrastructure. And that takes time and money. Matthew says, how about community-owned water treatment? Absolutely. This is, uh, for example, what we're doing with housing developments, where we're providing the central water treatment for the entire housing development. And typically, once a developer builds it, it gets turned over to the homeowners association to manage. And that's a very handy solution and it allows you to do recycling with your own unit you don't have to rely because here's the thing let's say that you're five ten miles from the water utility and you would like to recycle and you don't have your own system so then your stuff goes in a pipe down to the utility and they clean it and now they got to send it back well how are they gonna send it back it's not it's not drinkable water here's the bottom line um if you don't have your own system you send your dirty water to the city, the city treats it, but if there's no pipe to send it back because they only have pipes to send you clean water, drinkable water. And typically it does not pay to make water, your, your polluted water drinkable. It basically pays to make it usable for, uh, you know, irrigation, typically, washdowns, that kind of thing. So the only solution is to operate um, on a self-reliant basis. Matthew wants to know, do municipalities approve of this? Doesn't this remove a source of income? It's, it's ironic, but right now, they're so overwhelmed that they're grateful for it. This is not like the energy industry where the power utilities are fighting tooth and nail to not let the solar people go off the grid and so forth. No, this is a very different situation. They are actually grateful because what's happening is, here's the situation. Sewage has to travel on high pressure lines. Treated water travels on gravity lines, pipes, and sewage travels on high pressure pipes. Those high pressure pipes have been bursting. You've been hearing about you know, occasional water main break. Well, the water main breaks because it's high pressure. You know, um, water mains that are just gravity, they don't break, they just flow, right? So it's the ones that have high pressure and those are the ones that carry sewage. So now they can't take your sewage because the pipes are going away and they don't have the budget to handle it. So, um, and the other issue is this, they don't have enough budget. They're running up. The US is running $100 billion behind every year on, on water infrastructure. So it's not happening. And they are um, not able to even keep up with population growth or anything like that. So what, they are overwhelmed by is industrial and agricultural users. 90% of all water demand is by fresh, by industrial and agricultural. So what do they try and do? Well, they try and raise rates. Well, that's good for us because it, it gives businesses the incentive to go off and do their own because it's over time, it's cheaper. Um, that's, we can make it so because why? We control the equipment and the process, et cetera. But the other thing is, the people, the consumers, the residential users, they get their water rates skyrocketing. And some locations have up to 30% defaults on water fees. Well, that's not very good. Who wants to run out of water? Because now you're going to you get shut off and now you're going to get bottled water. That's even more expensive. So it's just a vicious cycle. So what we find is that the cities are happy to like, hey, go for it. It's it's, it's not an issue. All right. Well, we're going to continue now. And that was, um, that was a good um, interview. But here's a much more interesting one I think you'll enjoy. So here we go. Basically, we can be having 
polluted water coming from our tap and it is legal because it's in with certain restraint, certain um, constraints of what the government at this point in time is saying is acceptable. And yet that water can be filling our bodies with toxins. And I think that that's something that, you know, we, we tend to trust. So we tend to trust that the water coming out of our tap is safe unless we're told not to. And um, I, I think that there's a call here for people to be really attentive and not take for granted. Um, I know, you know, like, for example, in the health and beauty industry, that standards haven't been updated in about 100 years. And so not that anyone's trying to fill our sinks or our showers with polluted water, but we we need to ask more questions and we need to look into this. So I really appreciate that you shared ewg.org. We'll include that link in the show notes as well. Tell, tell me a little bit about why you are so passionate about water, you individually, and, and wanted to focus on that with your company. Well, at first it was a sort of necessity. We had to find a large enough space to pivot into because algae dried up for us. I'm ridiculously persistent, so I was not about to close shop. So, and we have wonderful investors. So we managed to pivot, and and the more I learned about it, the more I went, oh my gosh! And then I was like, you know, as a tech marketer, I'm accustomed to disruptive marketing, but I was having it so finding it so hard to move the needle. It's like, what? Why is the sector so technology averse? There's good reasons. Number one, they're in public health, and they got to watch out what they do. Fine, but mm-hmm. but also there's this what we got is good enough kind of situation. Right. And so, and that's true, you know, it's true of the building trades, it's true of all kinds of um, brick and mortar spaces where it's not tech. I think only tech, because it's relatively low inertia, like, oh, I can change like that, right? Well, it's not so easy to do so in a physical industry because you're talking about large capital expense, the right. risk of bad technology, all these things matter. Whereas when I was in tech, I could launch something and uh, it didn't work. Try again, you know, fiddle around. I even created this um, concept called mistake-based marketing, right? <laughs> throw it out there. Oh, that didn't work so well. Try again, right? And that- Fail forward, right? You know, you just keep doing it until you get the right one. And, you know, if you don't have to invest a lot in that, it's it's worth a try. Exactly. So it became a challenge for me. And I, and I was like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get it right. And we finally pulled together the missing ingredients. Uh, now, in the intro to the show, you mentioned crypto, and that is something that's been dear to my heart. We've had to put it in a back burner because it's not critical right now. Ah. Eventually, though, uh, the reason why we would eventually do a tokenized situation would be to permit, just like, some, uh, like uh, in fact, JP Morgan did that. They created a coin for money transfers, right? So uh, to tokenize the dividend flow on these water as a service type setups, mm-hmm. the investors, but it's not essential today. We can do ACH for a long, long time. It's not like life or death. Yes, it's really interesting because then the person can take their tokenized royalty stream and easily transfer it and it becomes a market, all kinds of fun stuff like that. Yeah. But We've kind of said, okay, let's get the basics in place. And it's happening. It's it's getting tremendous currency. Right now, the modular water systems business is booming. You know, it's literally doubling or tripling year over year. Mean, but it's the old school thing where it's sold for money. So it's only with com- companies, businesses that are already, they figured out the leasing or whatever. But meanwhile, we got this new uh, pioneer thing, which is water on demand, which we're building the capital fund for. Because if I offer you a water system without paying up front, well, somebody's got to pay for it. Right. And that's right. where the investors come in. So we have the investors do these secured investments uh, in, in, the, um, in the water systems, whereas literally they can, they can place a lien if they're not getting their royalties. That creates an asset at the level very similar to the oil space. So is anyone in opposition? Are there, you know, any municipalities or, you know, it's kind of like you're breaking up the water monopoly, right? So are you getting resistance and from what sectors? We know that the, the the energy space has had a lot of resistance from utilities, but this is not the case in water. They're generally grateful. And the reason is that sewage has to travel on high pressure lines. And these high, these mains, you've been hearing about mains blowing up. Well, those yeah. are sewage lines that burst. 
And so then once you don't have enough high pressure lines, what do you do? Well, you can treated water can travel on gravity lines. And so technologically, because they're underfunded, they're like, okay, great. You're going to give us treated water. That's good to know, right? As opposed to, oh, now we got to deal with how do we get your sewage? And you get situations where municipalities have been refusing to service large polluters. Like, let's say there, there was an fa- infamous case on the East Bay of California. A brewery was taking off and they were starting to really sell a lot of beer. Well, it takes seven to eight liters of water to make one liter of beer. So there was a lot of wastewater and the local county said, no, we're done. And they were having to truck most of their waste to another county. Oh, wow. Talk about impact, negative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they ended up doing their own system and then everybody was happy. So there's no opposition from municipalities. We don't see opposition <clears throat> from big water because they, if they see it, they see it as complimentary. It sells, it sells machines. So that's mm-hmm. overall, I think it's, um, it's something where the missing ingredient was awareness and that's starting to change. And people are starting to be like, oh, that's that's a workable way to solve the problem. Because we've just been sitting there like, well, how do we solve the trillion dollar water problem? Well, right. we, we come up with a trillion dollars to save, you know, SVB and all these other banks, but we don't come up with tr- a trillion dollars to save water. It is what it is. So you find a solution. And that's, mm-hmm. I think people are starting to realize that this is not such a, not such a bad idea. I love this. I love this. So how you talked a little bit about how entrepreneurs can take advantage of this new trend towards modulized water systems um, by investing either with your company, crowdsourcing. Are there other ways that maybe entrepreneurs that don't have the, the revenue, we have entrepreneurs of all levels li- listening to this podcast. So I want to be um, really sure to uh, give people an opportunity to think about how they can pay attention to this and know when the time may be right to jump in or other things that they should be aware of. So is there anything that you might say to an entrepreneur who's kind of in startup mode and maybe doesn't have the uh, money to invest at this point? Right. Well, there's maybe three situations. The first one is where you are yourself a processor of water, right? Like a beer, mm-hmm. like your brewery. So you, you need to do something about that. And that's where it pays off to not have to put a bunch of capital into it. So that's that program, Water On Demand. Um, secondly is the investment route and it's as little as a thousand dollars, but again, you know, you may not have the luxury of investing, you know, spare money into, into passive, you know, like a lot of people, me included, you know, we spent years and years investing in what we do, not in, you know, 401ks or whatever. So for better, for worse, it's not a great idea, but Hey, uh, that's why we're crazy entrepreneurs, right? That's that's like, I'm going to make it with this thing, you know? Um, And then the the third thing, you know, that the water industry is undergoing a silver tsunami, meaning Mm. aging out. And so there's tremendous demand for people to work in water. Okay. Um, At one point, for example, we created a a product called Pool Preserver. You know, every once in a while, a pool can only be shot so many times and it has to get a complete replacement. Kind of like Keith Richards going to to Switzerland, right? (laughs) Complete replacement. (laughs) <laughs> but um, that's very that's very wasteful of water if you just drain the pool and then fill yes. it. And so there's p- people, operators in places like uh, Arizona that have these machines that came from us that recirculate the water through a uh, filter. And it takes, you know, six, eight hours and it's done. And that's very water saving, which yeah. matters in places like Arizona and California. So there is getting into the industry, which is interesting. I like um, that. Yeah. That. That unfortunately does require learning, you know, it's a trade, right? That's, that's absolutely. Sort of a, and some people are like, you know what? I've been doing this darn thing with, I don't know, selling widgets on Amazon. I'm kind of done with it. Then maybe, maybe do a trade, right? Yeah, I like that. One of the things that um, I have to say in listening to you is not only that you are innovative, but you're, you're highly adaptable. And I think in 2023, coming out of just the crazy kind of um, entrepreneurial scenes that we've seen from 2020 to 2021, where everybody thought everything was going to turn around. And for some people it did, and for a lot of people it didn't. And that's kind of lingered as we've gone forward. Um, I think a lot of people I know, I know a lot of people in the entrepreneur space are really struggling to to kind of keep failing forward, you like like you talked about. And what I hear from you is that 
you just kind of accept that as a way of being. So what do you think it is either in your history um, or just, I guess, maybe in your DNA that kind of gives you the attitude, okay, well, that didn't work. We have to pivot to something that does. And how do you keep pulling on that strength or that um, innate, I guess, resourcefulness to keep on going? I think, you know, we say fail early, fail often, right? That's um, kind of a motto. The trick is is to recognize quickly early on, like, oh, no, that's not working too well. Now, it has to be not working for legitimate reasons. You could just have not done the thing, right? And therefore, it's right. failing not because it's a bad direction, but because you just didn't implement. I mean, coming back to the Amazon uh, business thing, there's it's fascinating what's been happening in the space because it was a huge... Um, bunch of roll-ups that happened in the last three, four years where individual sellers who I know a few sold out to these sort of aggregators and the aggregators had a lot of trouble and many of them folded because it what worked for the individual entrepreneur who was tweaking things on the go didn't work so well for this massive sort of deep, depersonalized mm-hmm. thing. So you have to recognize that there is a special sauce and you have got to learn what makes the thing tick. Like in the Amazon space, there's all kinds of tricks. I, it's way too complicated for me, but there's all kinds of tricks of the trade that if you don't do them right, well, you lose your shirt. So mm-hmm. I think it's super important to become extremely conversant with the space. Uh, really, really dig deep. If possible, partner with somebody who's sharp in the space. Get a leg up, right? Mm-hmm. Get a, get a, a friendly um, veteran to help you, that kind of thing. Uh, because, you know, I remember I had a bitter experience in the 80s where I had high hopes for the computer industry. So I came out of the nonprofit space and I went right into tech. And all of a sudden I had 12 employees in Manhattan and I was too green in, in the computing industry and my decisions were not the best. And frankly, I, I just ended up giving up and I had to literally give away the business. Mm-hmm. And it was a very big learning experience for me, which is Make sure you really know the space you're entering. Be willing to apprentice, work for somebody else, um, get help. Do not be a solo operator. Wherever I've applied that, I've done well, right? And wherever I haven't, I have failed miserably. (laughs) Your honesty is so refreshing, but your insight is so valuable. I mean, that's so important. I hear you. And having a mentor or an advisor or a you know, a partner, whatever that looks like, I think is, is really helpful emotionally, as well as, you know, professionally, like having someone that you can go to and saying this happened, is this normal, right? Because people are there. And I think that's why, um, you know, we're seeing people uh, failing and, and just deciding to quit and not really like saying, what do I really need? Do I need to really implement better? Do I need a mentor or a different mentor? Do I need to take this as, you know, a stage of learning? And it, it could be, it probably is different answers for different entrepreneurs. So um, I really appreciate that. And I also think that perhaps after you've kind of risen from the ashes a number of times, you do kind of say, okay, these are the things I've learned and this is how I'm going to try to implement them going forward. But the nature of entrepreneurism is that you have to take risks and and risks are not without failures. Decades ago, I was actually um, working uh, shipmaster, uh, captain of merchant ships. And Wow. The consequences of of taking bad risks are humongous, right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, that there's, there's really learning the trade is where it's at. Um, I confess that I was super young when I did it and young and brash. And um, I was constantly, you know, kind of like rescuing myself from dire situations. And I, again, you know, sometimes... We are entrepreneurs because we're independent, but you can't, you got to watch out about becoming a, the only one, the, the, the one hero, you know, what you want is League of Avengers, not Superman, right? Yes. So work, get people. My company started really doing well when I started attracting people who I'd have to tell them Saturday night, dude, stop texting me, go get dinner, go to <laughs> bed, get it, watch a movie, you know? 
that's 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 the kind of people you want, right? Well, it took a long time to get that, and that's really what you want. You you want to have a good cadre around you, as opposed to people who depend on you. And so it's all very well to be Captain Picard, but you better know what you're doing. I love it. I love it. That's so good. We could have a whole other conversation on hiring the right people. That's great. I, love I don't it. believe you can hire them. It's it's something that has to happen organically, in my opinion. Ah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. We can have that conversation. Happy to, because I've I've tried to figure out how it is that we get good people and how it is that we don't, and it's fascinating. Yeah, I think we will. I think we have to have a part two to this conversation and talk about that because I think that's another thing that I know I've struggled with that. My agency's 10 years old. I've had teams, you know, 20 years before that. And um, it can be tough to, uh, you know, to hire people that are really passionate. And I think you're right. I think some of it is what they bring to the table. And um, I kind of advocate that I'd rather have people that I could help train up to make sure their skills were top notch, but that bring the right attitude and the dedication rather than the opposite. But in an ideal world, you'd find both. Well, and part of it is that um, you start to, uh, people are attracted to the smell of success, right? Mm -hmm. the more you your message is good, the more you're doing the right thing, the more people go, hey, I want to be a part of that, right? right. So that's an important part of it. Um, but And also, like I remember in the 80s, I was hiring employees where I should have been hiring, I should have been attracting partners. Mm-hmm. And the person I eventually gave the business to, well, why didn't I make him a partner day one? You know, we just were to work together because he was remains a fantastic. I mean, he's become a millionaire off of the business I gave him. Well, why... And did much more. I mean, he's brilliant in his own right. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. I'm not saying he was a parasite, but the point is we I could have treated him differently on a more egalitarian basis. And that's what I've taken away from that. You know, we have, for example, um restricted stock options, uh, stock units, RSUs, which you don't have to buy, they're granted because I hate options. <laughs> they end up underwater and then you got a bunch of, you know. And then you have to filter the water all over again. Ooh, nice. Well said. <laughs> well said. But anyway, so. Uh, you know, this fund that I was working with said, just take care of yourself. Like, no, everybody in the company has RSUs, everybody. And that changes how things work. People care more. Yeah, I love that. So we've been talking about success. This is the Prosper Project. What does it mean for you to prosper? It really means making, in my opinion, making a difference while also being in the black. In other words, do it and do it in a commercially viable way so that it can continue. I've always been looking for that that combination of workability and high mission, you know, integrated with each other. And to me, that's success. I love it. Riggs Eckleberry, thank you so much for being my guest today on the Prosper Project. It's been such a delight speaking with you. Well, I'd love to be on your show again. We'll talk about that hiring thing. Okay, sounds good. All right. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone listening. We'll see you next week. I love these podcasts where I basically um, tell like it is, you know, Lorraine was a very good interviewer. She was very interested in uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, um, you know, I think every single entrepreneur who is successful today has the horror stories of making it through. I don't know a shortcut to making it happen, frankly. I really don't. All right. All right. Let's just um, get the freewheeling discussion going here. Here we go. Riggs and Ken. And Ken is, okay, here's what's weird. Ken is literally in the same town as me right now. Right. I could have walked over there and and I, I, I don't even know if, I'm doing this on my phone. I don't even know if you can see me. No, you see me? you're fine. You're looking good, buddy. Okay. I got a tan today. There's that. Okay. Um, this is my <clears throat> my little pad for now. Um, great interview, and I, I tell you what, you know, you mentioned a couple of things I, I wanted to expand on. I saw a um, a meme, I think it was on Facebook, where they showed Homer Simpson, and it's his like you know um, uh, a paycheck guy just and he's sleeping like it like like a dead person, and they says entrepreneurs, and you know the eyes wide open. Did I return that text? Right. Did I write that check? And it was like oh, you know these. And, and I just went, you know, I just said, oh, my God, you know, that that's it. I mean, that's it today, even, you know, and, and there's a there's a rare breed 
of folks that 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 do that. Um, and at some point, you don't even do it because you're stuck. I mean, you, you build a resume and people will hire you anywhere. You decide it. You're, no, I'm not going to work for somebody. I want to. I want to make this work. Right. I'm I'm going to build something. I'm going to build a legacy. Right. Uh, what you were describing about, you know, doing something that is, you know, kind of high, very high, um, high view. I don't know if you said high view or high. Oh, high concept. No, I'm right. sorry. High mission. High mission. OK. But in the black, um, one of my favorite terms was doing well by doing good. Right. I, th- I think that's a very simplified way of um it's the sofa summit. No, uh, th- yeah, the sofa's back there, but it's not a sofa summit, Michael. Um, no, because I, last time you were in Clearwater, there was that sofa summit. That sofa, I, yeah, I remember. Um, the, the, um, the 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 thing that struck me about um, your interview with her is that there's not a single entrepreneur or even a high level executive that um what's the old saying show me a man who's successful and i'll show you a man who's failed a thousand times right i don't know how to shortcut it i mean you know and and you you go i could have done this better i could have done this better well then no that was the learning process right no you look you get your occasional guy out of college like zuckerberg right the guy is out of college and you know manages to develop but even he made a ton of mistakes he just didn't take decades he short-circuited that process he had help from three-letter agencies you know what i'm saying <laughs> no, that I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but but it, wait but a minute, movie. I the see movie. a light blinking up here. Okay, nice. No, they they in the movie he gets help from um, the, the Napster guy, the, the Winklevoss. No, the Winklevoss twins. No, no, the Winklevosses were early backers that he basically blew right. off. But who he right. got was the Napster guy. Took him to the kid from Napster. Right. Yeah. Boom. And this same thing happened with with Elon Musk, right? You get these bolts from the blue, exactly. So, um, but for the rest the rest of us humans, it's a running game, not a not a not a passing game. And 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 to to further expand on your point about you you actually took the words out of my mouth. I was I was thinking about commenting on it, and you kind of said it in slightly different words, which happens with us a lot. Um, but if you if you build if you do something exciting if you if you if you show something that that could be truly great this becomes a concept of attraction not promotion like in other words how do you hire people well you can't um the truth is hiring people is like a first date because everyone's going to be on their best behavior no one's going to eat with their hands and you know and everyone looks great on paper right but when you're doing something truly exciting when you're doing something that can change the world like what we're doing okay people are going to take notice they will find you right they will start to come to you and happily I'm, you know we're fielding those phone calls to some extent i mean there's still plenty of other folks that you have to be wary of right but we're starting to connect with people that are just kind of reaching out to us and saying, hey, tell me a little bit more. And they're not there to, you know, it's not some guy that, hey, I'm, I'm trying to butter this guy up so I can sell him something. These are people that really bring tremendous value. They want to play. To what we want, they to, want to play. Right. They want, and they want to play. Right. Exactly right. Well, okay. Uh, quickly, I want to cover the fact that uh, these are the show dates tonight, 930 PST uh, on Bloomberg. So that is literally zero zero dark 30 eastern time mm-hmm. uh and then july 17th 10 30 p.m pst again super late uh 1 30 a.m on the 18th but then here's that golden one we've been commenting on july 29th bloomberg 6 30 p.m est we right. do get calls off of these you've you've had calls off of these absolutely um and it's interesting um because what they'll do is they'll see the ad, they'll they'll come right on my calendar, and then they'll show up and they'll start reaching out to us through social through social media, right? right? So they are immediate. That's the type of person that you know is taking because they are already doing their homework, right? They're already researching you. Well, because Facebook's um, listening on your phone. Well, that's so, true. The ad comes up. Magically. That's true. That's true. <laughs> like if I mention I have a tan on my Amazon thing, it's going to show up for like um, uh, sunscreen. Exactly. It'll be the next thing that pops up on my, uh, on my thing. So. Uh, whatever. It's, it's, it's nothing creepy about it at all. Nothing. 
Okay, remember to fill out your Zoom survey. It does give us vital information. Um, and do talk to Ken about ways that you can get involved with Water On Demand. We have some great people here tonight and I do hope you join us. Um, it is an amazing program. And what we've decided to dedicate ourselves, and this was a recent decision, is we support the regular everyday investor, people like, right. like us who don't you know, make a million plus a year, who make good money, you know, but don't necessarily make the big bucks and don't know what to, what to invest in. They don't have the access. The, the folks that are iced out of these deals, right? Um, right? So uh, VC crowd is great, but the, it's a very small click. It's a very small club, right? And what they usually do is they usually stuff these things so full that by the time we, folks like you and I, get to play these things when they open, we're like, yay. And they're like, oh my God, you know, because they're, they're kind of overbought. They're kind of overstuffed, yeah. right? And people get hurt. Um, the chance to be a true founder in something as big and and as with as much breath as this is very very rare. It yeah. really is. And and it, you know all of the marketing nonsense aside, um, people say to me, um, "Why didn't anybody think of this sooner?" You know, in other words, it, it dawns on them that my God, this is huge, and it's like. Why are you guys doing this? And it, it's it's like you said. Um, sometimes the thing, so, sometimes a lot of the good stuff almost happens either through serendipity or accident, right? We stumbled, you stumbled upon this, you know, when when algae blew up, and then you woke up one day and went, "Oh my God, water is way bigger than biofuels." And not only right? that, it's you know messed up that that you know it's totally screwed up, right? The, yeah. the accidental event of of that Lux Research um, article that or the webinar that I watched. And by the way, mm -hmm. anybody wants the actual webinar to play on a WebEx file, I'll be happy to send it. Just um, um, just go ahead and send an email to investororigenclear.com and, and we'll, sh we'll share that, that file. Fascinating, fascinating webinar. And that convinced me that we had to start decentralizing and doing self-reliant water treatment. What happens is, in my opinion, is you get layered growth. Things add one to the other. Look at what we went through growing water on demand, starting with the realization on my birthday week, February 8th, 2020, that we were screwed with Wuhan, screwed, and um, because the price of oil crashed. And at that point, we started working on this thing. And how many iterations do we go through? And I, and I believe that the, the folks that are heavily invested, the two things that have suffered and will continue to suffer, and I don't think we've seen the worst of it. No, I'm not a doom and gloomer. Everyone, everything will be okay. It just won't be great, right? You know? Commercial real estate to a large extent, except for certain niches, which are great, right? But I'm talking about the people that just buy into these, you know, uh, high occupancy, um, you know, projects. Uh, and, and of course, the energy people. These A lot of these folks, you know, even though energy costs are high, access to energy has been dramatically reduced. You have a lot of wells that aren't produced. And so family offices, while I want to include the individual investor, I think the family office, I think these folks are really in a tight spot. And the chance to, for them to come in with real capital alongside of guys like us, I mean, you know, and this is, they control $4.3 trillion, right? That's major, major capital. And I think they're in a tight spot. And the chance to enter this thing truly when it's unmonetized is going to be very, very exciting. And we're already having some of those conversations. But I still- That's how I know that. I still like the everyday investor. Absolutely. Well, yeah, but the family offices and the ultra high net worth people, they are my favorite Yiddish word, hondlers. Mm -hmm. Such hondlers. They will work you because they have the power of the purse. They will work you. Whereas I really have, you know, we love our regular. No, love it. Love them. Here's, here's what I meant. We're getting in before them. Yeah. They're going to come in. What I'm saying is, guys, we're in before them for a change. Right. That that doesn't happen, right? So that's the exciting part. It's like, wait, I get to be in front of the train for once, right? At the at the at the engine part, not the caboose. So that was my uh, that was my really too enough. much sun today, Riggs. I'm a little slow today, a little too much sun. Well, I'm so glad you're in Clearwater for the next week, and in fact, next Thursday you will be here as well. And why don't we have you? We'll Why don't I make my computer work first? Get my computer to work? 
but we'll maybe try and share a location. We'll figure something out that's fun. Okay. So we're going to wrap it up. It's 9.04 and I don't like to run more, much more than an hour. It's been wonderful having everyone. Thank you all for joining. And we'll see you next week with another uh, really exciting presentation. There's, there's something really uh, cool coming. So don't hesitate. I think I have some very interesting news for you. So everyone have a great, have a great um, weekend and see you next week. Okay. Good night, folks.